Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. All those LSU Tigers, they fought hard. They played hard. They even led the game late. But ultimately, come up short on the road in Athens, Georgia. They fall to the Georgia Bulldogs to extend their losing streak now a Baker's dozen. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. On this humid Wednesday morning, hope you took care of the significant ladies in your life on Valentine's Day, fellas, because that makes things far more easier for the rest of your week. I'm joined inside the studios by, of course, D-Lo, Dawson, Iserlow, our producer. we got a good show lined up for you today. Three guests on the docket Ron Higgins, the mad dog from Tiger Details, going to talk all things LSU, men and women's basketball, and preview baseball season, which begins, of course, on Friday against Western Michigan. Jay Walker is scheduled to join us, the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. We'll talk basketball and baseball with him. And then Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News will put a bow on the NFL season, get his thoughts about Super Bowl 57, and look ahead to what we expect to be an interesting offseason, especially when it comes to the quarterback market. Those are our three guests that we got lined up for you today, and we're going to touch on a slew of different topics as well. Going to talk a little Raging Cajuns basketball. We're going to touch on Daytona 500, which is going to be Sunday, and you're going to be able to listen to the Daytona 500 right here on the game, by the way. We have our foodie poll question of the day, which we'll unveil, and we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is open, as always, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we have to start off with the LSU men's basketball team. Boy, it sure did look like they were going to win that game. It sure did look like They were going to finally snap the losing skid and get that win. They played hard. They really did. On the road. Georgia's a team still trying to figure itself out, right? White's there now as the head coach, the former Florida coach. He did a nice job early on in the season kind of turning things around, trying to change the culture there. They've hit some stumbling blocks, so to speak, once they got into conference play. They're a middle-of-the-road team. Not a great team by any stretch of the imagination. And it was there. It was there. They had this game. They were leading this game with seconds to go. And then they weren't. (laughs) And this is what this team is. Even when they play some of their best basketball, right? 
it's still not enough. Still not enough. They feed it to KJ Williams, and he goes right in there. Scores to take the lead, gets some contact, is able to put the floater in the lane, drains it, LSU up by one. Drains it, but then Georgia comes right back down, and they cut through LSU's defense, come around the right side of the post in the lane, high, high floater off the top of the backboard, and it goes in. Oh, goes 64-63 with 4.4 seconds left. And that's all really she wrote. And that's all she wrote. LSU allowed 39 points in the second half. In the game, shooting 38.5% from the field. Ooh. K.J. Williams led the way, 18 points, 9 rebounds, nearly a double-double for him. Jalen Reed chipped in 9 points and 6 rebounds. LSU's now lost 13 straight games. They fall to 1-12 in the Southeastern Conference after last night's 65-63 loss. And after you get the lead, you give it up, by letting Georgia come down with that high floater off the glass. But then they turned over the ball in their very last possession. That's what they did. They turned the ball over on the last possession. They still had 4.4 seconds left to get the job done. They still had a chance to at least put up the shot. And what did the LSU Tigers men's basketball team do? Turn over the ball. It was brutal. Absolutely brutal. Now it led Georgia go to the line, made their free throw, and essentially ball game. Oh, man, it's tough. And I worry about this game. And, and here's why. They weren't expected to win this game, right? They were expected to lose this game. When you looked at the schedule, you said, okay, Saturday's game at home versus South Carolina, that's a game that they can win because South Carolina is hot garbage. Ole Miss is a game that they can win because they're hot garbage. They still got Missouri and Florida on the schedule. By the way, Missouri got trucked by Auburn last night. Auburn's playing like a team desperate to finish the season strong, and Missouri had no idea what happened to them. That game got all the way up to about 30 points. Missouri's been ranked this year, by the way. College basketball is a great sport. But you looked at the schedule and you said, okay, where are they going to have any wins? When is the winning streak going to be snapped? And we said Saturday, South Carolina inside the PMAC because the Gamecocks are, wait for it, dreadful. But now I worry about Saturday's game, Dawson. 
I'm concerned about Saturday's game because you went on the road if you're LSU, you fought hard, you had an opportunity to win the game, you were actually up with less than six seconds to go, you give up the bucket, and then you still have a chance to win the game again, and you turn over the ball. It's got to be absolutely deflating. And I do wonder a team that's lost as many games as they have in a row now, are they going to be able to dust themselves off and get ready to actually beat a team that's going to be probably their easiest opponent they're going to face? Or is there going to be a hangover from what happened last night? That's my concern because I don't know if this team is mentally strong. And when you nearly beat a team, we see it all the time in sport, right? You nearly beat a better team, and then you screw the pooch. And because you can't get yourself off the ground, you let another bad team beat you. That'd be my concern if I was an LSU men's basketball fan. South Carolina might just be bad enough to where it doesn't matter. (laughs) They could be. The Gamecocks could be. That's a brutal way to lose a game. It's a fitting way to lose a game, especially for LSU this season where turnovers have been an issue. But, I mean, just just go through the sequence again. KJ scores, puts him ahead. Then Georgia comes right back down the court, cuts through their defense, high floater, boom, up by one. But you got 4.4 seconds left. You have a chance to put up a shot. You have a chance to win the game on the road. Snap the losing skid. And you commit a turnover on your final possession. You don't even get a shot up. You don't even get the shot up. Like if I'm Matt McMahon, I just look around going, what have I done? What have I got myself into? These guys can't even get a shot. Like, it'd be one thing if, okay, you drew up a play and you missed it. Okay, I can live with that. That happens. Not every shot goes in, right? But you don't even get the chance to shoot the ball because you turned it over. Oh, I'm not even an LSU person. Not an LSU fan. But absolutely just brutal. Just a a, a brutal way to lose a game. Now, once again, they shot the ball terribly. They did. And remember, here's the other part of this. They played so well in the first half. Not shooting. They played better defense. They were up at half on the road. Up at halftime on the road. Up with like six seconds left. Give up the bucket, and then you don't even get a shot off at the end. And you just go, what? What? 
Tyrell Ward, it's going to be tough for him committing the turnover, and Justin Hill swiped the ball from him. But that's a brutal way to lose a game. 65-63 to the ugla ugla. And now you look at this team and you go, okay, we go to the schedule. (laughs) They are now, have lost 13 in a row. They're 0-7 on the road, by the way. 12-14 overall. 1-12 in conference. Worst team in the SEC. I look at the schedule. There's There's five games left now. They're two games under 500, which means to end the regular season with a winning record. You're really caught on this winning record thing, aren't you? Because, because it matters. It, it matters to the psyche of the team. It matters for them in the offseason. It, it really does. It, it does. It, it, it's, when you're a building a program like this, to get the win, to, to have one more win than you do a loss matters. It just does. I don't think it's happening. <laughs> so, so okay, they're two games under five hundred right now. Let's let's help right. Let's help RP three do math again. So there's five games left. Also, the good news is it's getting simpler as they're losing more games. You you don't have to do as much math. So there are two games below five hundred, which means to get to five hundred, right? Just to get to five hundred. They have to go three and two in their last five, correct? No, no. They have to go four and one in their <laughs> yeah. last five, just to get to five hundred. Well, there there will be no five. They play an odd number of games, so it, it'll be above or below. There won't be any even five hundred. So they have to go. They have to win out. Is what you're telling? No, I'm not. No, it's early in the morning. <laughs> There's five games left, right? Right, right. Five regular season games left. So they're going to need, and they're two games under 500. Yes. So they're going to need to go four and one to finish oh, above 500. If they go four. three and two, they'll finish one game below. If they go four and one, they'll finish one game. So above. To, to to be above 500 for the regular season, because we feel like when this team goes to Nashville to the Bridgestone Arena to play in the SEC tournament, they're going to lose. Yeah, we're we're okay. So right. if you want to win an SEC tournament game. But I'm, that changes I'm, but, but we're not counting that. We're just counting regular season. You'll still, yeah, if you go 4-1 and one and lose, in, then you'll be even 500. If you win out, then sure, yeah, you'll, you'll secure the winning season. So let's say you're right that Saturday is a dub against the Gamecocks, who are dreadful. The only team is as bad as LSU, right? Vandy keeps winning. They sure do look like a team vying for the NCAA tournament now vying to at least become a bubble team. So they have to play Vandy, Ole Miss. They're at Ole Miss, which really probably doesn't matter. So let's say they beat South Carolina, lose to Vandy, and beat Ole Miss, right? That's going to come down to the final two games of the, the regular season. Missouri and at Florida. So I guess we can go ahead and say that that's not going to happen. <laughs> we can go ahead and he, Dawson was already there. He was waiting for me to get you know wake up a little bit to go ahead and just go ahead and just jump there with him because now that you look at the schedule and it's, I mean they might 
They could win an SEC tournament game because you're going to play the 10 or the 11 if you're the 14 or the 13. You're so, going to play another awful team. You're going to now, well, it might be Mississippi State who isn't awful per se. So And you've already lost to them. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying it's so, not like you have to play Tennessee in the first round the way, you know, your traditional bracket would be. They were 12 and 1. Yeah, but there's a lot, and it's again. I've said this before. If you go back and look, it's a miracle they won some of those games against teams. And you, sh- we should have probably seen it then, when they were playing really close games against really bad teams. We know how bad Arkansas State is. They're one of the worst teams in the Sun Belt. They struggled to beat them. They only beat them by nine, and that was the second game of the year. Kansas City. I have no idea who that is. I, I just, it's, it's a team. It's on the schedule. You know, is one of the worst teams in the Southland Conference. We do know that now. So that was probably their their most convincing win was against one of the worst teams in the Southland Conference. Not exactly something to write home about. They lost to K State, who's okay. They struggled, but you're, you're right. When, once it got past Thanksgiving, you started noticing some chinks in the armor, right, from that non conference schedule because they struggled to beat Walford at home. Remember. They struggled to beat UT Arlington at home, only a four-point win. Got kicked out of the Sun Belt. Yeah, that's right. Get out of our get out of our league. They did beat Wake Forest, which was a weird game. They won that game, but then it was only a ten-point win over North Carolina Central, which sounds like a made-up school. Winthrop, they gave up eighty-one points to Winthrop, and you're like, oof, oof. East Tennessee State was a four-point win. So. You look back and you go, eh. <laughs> Woo. 13 straight losses for the Tigers. They'll get back in action on Saturday. Hopefully, we'll snap the skid against South Carolina. If they don't, they may not win another game. That's going to be noon, and you can listen to that game live right here on the game. You're home for LSU Athletics. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Foodie poll question of the week is unveiled. That's next right now here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Oh, man. Foodie poll question of the week. Couldn't have come at a better time, especially if you're an LSU men's basketball fan, right? Lost their 13th straight game after leading at halftime and then leading late on the road at Georgia. They find a way to lose the game 65-63. But not to worry. We got a good topic that's going to make you feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside. It's our foodie poll question of the week. And you know it's king cake season. And that inspired our foodie poll question of the week. Because I've had some conversations with folks here about this. What's your favorite king cake flavor? What's your favorite king cake flavor? Is it the traditional? No filling, right? 
None of that stuff, just the classic, delicious king cake. Is that your jam? Is that your favorite? Is the one with cream cheese in it, is that your favorite? Wildly popular. One of the more popular fillings for king cakes. Is it any type of fruit? Blueberry, strawberry, raspberry, you name it, it's in there. Do you prefer the fruit filling? Or do you like one of the other specialty king cakes, like a chocolate-filled king cake or pecan praline-filled king cake? Bavarian cream king cake. That's our foodie poll question of the week, which is our poll question of the day every single Wednesday here on RP3 and Company. Right now, overwhelmingly, 63% of you say cream cheese, 27% say other, 5% say traditional, another 5% say fruit. Let's get to some of your early comments, and y'all are already well to almost have double-digit comments already, already. JPK, the OD, says, cream cheese guy here, but this one is like Chucky movies, horrific yet strangely addictive. Hashtag eat it while peeking through your fingers. And he shared a link. I don't have time to look at the link, JPK, the OD. You're supposed to leave comments that are efficient. The man leaves a comment and then leaves a link for me to go watch something else. I don't got time for that. Oh, JPK. We're going to have to have a talk. Ralph says, pecan praline from Freeman's in New Iberia. Not a lot of positives in, in the berry these days, but trust me on this. And a ginormous one is $30. Huge plane is 15 plus. You can get great meats. And a Lazy Boy recliner under the same roof. I am familiar with Freeman's as I worked in New Iberia for two years. <laughs> and you're n- there's no lies in anything, Ralph. Tweet it out. Salty Steve says, my favorite, strawberry. Well, that's a good picture, too. I do like a good strawberry-filled king cake. John Paul, the Cajun daddy, says, the Bavarian cream was my favorite for a long time. Then I discovered the pe- pe- pecan praline at Rouse's. It's so good. By far the most unhealthy of all the king cake fillings. First of all, king cake is, at its essence, immensely unhealthy. Just absolutely unhealthy. Hart on Twitter says, Bavarian is my favorite. But as long as it's not this monstrosity of creation, we're good. A mufalata king cake? No, no, those things don't, no, no, stop. Stop it. (laughs) Ton on Twitter says chocolate, definitely chocolate, all about the chocolate. Did I mention chocolate? Cream cheese is a distant second, and now I want king cake. Ton, you're welcome. Stop off and find you a chocolate king cake today, bud. That's what we do. We inspire. Krista says, I like fruit, especially strawberry. And John Paul says, by the way, new guy fruit is not a flavor. New guy fruit is not a flavor. That's our foodie poll question of the week. Man, I think for me, it's it's probably cream cheese followed by like strawberry. I think those are my one-two. Bavarian cream. If I had to give you three king cake flavors that are my favorite, cream cheese, strawberry, and Bavarian cream. I do like a very good traditional king cake. And everyone makes their king cake differently, especially how they do the topping. Because sometimes you'll get a, a king cake and the inside is really good and the dough's right, but they put way too much sugar on the top. 
and it's like way too hard. And I, I'm like, no, 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 I don't want that. I don't want that. Sometimes people get really creative with icing, and they shouldn't. Just pump the brakes. You've made a delicious dessert. No need to go crazy with how you drizzle the icing on the top. We don't need any of that. Dawson? King cake? Um, yeah. What's your favorite flavor there, bud? You 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 have to apologize for D'Lo. He was staring off into the abyss thinking about the delicious king cakes that he was going to refrain from buying. Because if you haven't seen D'Lo, I'm the big, bald, beautiful one. First of all, Dawson still has hair. He's young. And he's fit. My man works out, takes care of himself. So when there's king cake here at the studio or at Delta Media Corp, He's not running to go get some. Instead, he goes, I need another bottle of water. He takes care of himself. Really not as fit as I should be, and definitely don't <laughs> there it is. avoid the king cake when it's in the office. But <laughs> cream cheese is the answer here. And like I, traditional king cake is good, but it's a lot easier to mess it up when you don't have to like when you have the cream cheese filling, as long as that's not messed up, which is a little harder to do, then you can get away with less quality in the dough and the icing category. So that's why I lean that way. Again, if it's okay. a really great traditional king cake, then sure, but it's just a lot easier to go with the cream cheese because it's just harder to mess it up. That's my that's my thought. It's a good thought by you. Good thought by you. I mean, the man, look, he, he says he's not as fit as he is. He's already the fittest person here at the game. He was that the first day he was on the job. <laughs> now... Is the bar set fairly low around here? Yeah. Yeah. And don't tell me James Mesh is fitter. No, Mesh is just skitty. There's a difference. <laughs> you could bench press Mesh. Okay? <laughs> Let's be real. Mesh is skinny. He's a skinny kid. Keep voting on our foodie poll question of the week. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. And we'll share your comments, like we always do, throughout today's show coming up next here on rp3 and company raging cages basketball bob marlin gary broadhead we'll hear from them that's next right here on the game this is rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros go subscribe to the game's youtube channel at the game louisiana that way, you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We shot the ball much better in the other games. I'll, I'll refer back to one game where we, we gave up 56%, I think, which was second all year that we've given up um, to Georgia Southern at home. And we made a miraculous comeback and won that game. So when we've not defended in a half, it's gotten us. Uh, but we did dodge a bullet during the win streak. But uh, 10 in a row is quite an accomplishment. We would like to extend it longer. Uh, it's the third time we've done it. But it, it's tough. College basketball is tough. If you look at the scores yesterday, you know, Purdue loses. Houston's lost twice at home. I mean, it's crazy. So we're looking forward to rebounding. 
Raging Cajun men's basketball coach Bob Marlin there talking about the win streak and it obviously being snapped, and now it's turned into back-to-back losses for his Cajuns. You know, we had him on the program yesterday, and he was very kind of, you know, transparent. We led, and then we couldn't shoot to, you know, save our lives in the second half. And then didn't play defense when we needed to. So back-to-back games, they struggled in the second half. But I go back to Thursday's game. They played not very good basketball in the first half either, either, but they still led that game. But Southern Miss had started building up momentum. And then Southern Miss played a great second half of basketball. At home for a near sellout crowd. So a team that's the best team in the conference alongside with you, they have a sellout crowd. It's an emotional night for them, just like the previous Saturday was for you. I can understand maybe having that game get away from you and you dropping a game. But then it carried over, didn't it? That's what at least it felt like it did from the outside looking in, is that it carried over the loss to Southern Miss and how they didn't play well in the second half and how they didn't shoot the ball well and they didn't play good defense. That seemingly carried over to Troy in a game that they were leading at the break as well and then lost in the second half. And Coach Marlin was asked about, you know, the hangover effect from playing Southern Miss in an electric environment on Thursday. Did that carry over to Troy? Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that at all. I mean, we talked about a hangover from the start, and that's that can happen, but that was not the case. Uh, I thought physically we were worn down. I thought we were stepped behind. We were stuck in the mud, seemed like in the second half against Troy, uh, which, which hurt us. Uh, but, no, we were ready to play. We just got to defend better. And Troy, Troy's in fifth place, guys. They're pretty good. Uh, they've got a good squad, and, and uh, they're going to be a tough out in the tournament. He's not wrong about Troy being a tough out, right? But if you're a Raging Cajun fan, they crushed Troy before without Jordan Brown, right? Jordan didn't play in that game against Troy at home. And they crushed their faces. You have Jordan Brown, the preseason player of the year, when you go play Troy, and you get pushed around and lose by double digits. How? Like, that's the part that doesn't... It's tough to win on the road, but that's the part that gives me pause about the Troy loss. The Southern Miss loss doesn't bother me. I go, okay, near sellout crowd, old school rival, makes a lot of sense. You'd already beat them once before. They want to get you back, right? And and, and Troy, you'd beat once before, but you destroyed Troy without Jordan Brown. Took him behind the woodshed and embarrassed him. You have Jordan Brown, the preseason player of the year, Dawson, with you on the road, and you got pushed around. That's the thing that's curious to me. There I go, how did that happen? I think a lot of that goes into not having Jordan Brown in that game might have actually played into your hands because, and we talked about this a little with foot, but Troy's preparing for Jordan Brown all week 
for you know however long they've been preparing for UL. You know, even when they've been talking about it throughout the season, they've been talking about how they're going to stop yep. Jordan Brown. They focus their game plan around defending Jordan Brown. How we're going to do switches. How we're going to double team is what we're going to do. We're just going to take twenty one out the game. We're going to try and not let him beat us. And then twenty minutes four tip, they find out he's not playing. So I think that kind of shifts your team's mindset. And I think Troy got caught off guard. UL was up by it was up forty one seventeen at the half of that first game. They actually got outscored by nine in the second half against Troy. So once Troy settled down in the second half, they actually That's played fair. well. So I think you went in there and look, they had a five point lead at the half in this game as well on the road at Troy. So I don't think it's not like you got dominated. The game got a little bit out of hand late, but it was still a pretty competitive game, you know, inside of the last the eight minute media timeout. But are you concerned about the second half struggles both at Southern Miss and at Troy? Yeah, but not a ton because they've been pretty good in the second half this year. Um, and they've had a couple of games again, the first Troy game. Now that maybe makes me worried about a Troy matchup situation in the in the Sunbelt Conference tournament in Pensacola. Especially if Troy ends up being the six or the five, mm-hmm. and you're the three or the four, four. you could yep. face them in your first game, and that's not probably the team you want to see in the first game of the tournament. Um, but also, look, Troy had a couple of things. Troy had a 26 percent three point shooter who went five for seven the other night off the bench and scored 25 points, like. That's not going to happen very often. You can't really game plan for that because, yeah, it's an anomaly. And with that being said, you all still should have won the game with that, you know, even overcoming that if they'd have shot the ball a little bit better and played a little bit better defense. So, What do you want to see from this team Thursday night? Hit some shots, first of all, which you shouldn't have a ton of trouble with being back at home. Most teams shoot better at home. It's just kind of a thing, especially in college basketball. Um, And some energy on defense, certainly. Uh, Monroe's a team that's, if you let them – hang around they've kind of shown that all year they're, they're just, sneaky right yeah. they're they're, they're, they're sneaky you let you let them hang around they're gonna make you pay and blackman the guard for them is a guy who can go off for 35 in any given night but if you defend him really well which they did in the first game he can struggle at times too he'll he'll start forcing up some shots so yeah they, i mean look it's a we i must win game gets overused but this one's huge especially going to jmu on saturday again i've said for Three weeks now. I don't like their chances on Saturday, given everything they're going to face. So, are we just conceding that game? I mean, because I guess the JMU game intrigues me because they're fighting to climb up the board, right? And we just expect because of the travel and the challenges of doing that on the fly, or such the quick turnaround that that's going to put the Cajuns in a disadvantage, and the Cajuns have not been good on the road, right? What if they go and beat JMU? Well, then you start to kind of change your thinking again about where they are. I, I Do you feel better about their chances to go win the conference tournament in Pensacola? If they beat JMU, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, that's a, so I'm sure they're not conceding that game to JMU. I'm sure Bob Marlin and his staff aren't. So uh, even though I they don't like They have to their... win that game if they want to have a chance right. to win the regular season title because a lot of us expect Southern Miss to stumble because they have to be away from Hattiesburg to close out the season. Right. So, and they have a couple of tough games, including one against Old Dominion. So, if you want to try to catch them and at least get a share of the regular season title, which ensures you go to the NIT, because as it stands right now, let's say the Cajuns finish as number two and Southern Miss wins the regular season title and the Cajuns don't win the conference tournament. There's no guarantee that they're going to the NIT. No, maybe even. So they could be a 25, 26 win team, including the tournament games, right? Let's say they lose in the title game. They could be a 25 win team and not go to 
the NIT. The NIT's kind of shown you before they they would love a 16 or 17 win Power Five team over a team like UL, even if that is correct. The uh, even if the RPIs don't line up, even if the net rankings don't line up, the NIT. And I mean, look, I get the NIT is a lot of time those are at host sites, so they're looking to kind of find places early where they on can get before big you get to the Garden for the like Final that, Four, right. yeah, and the championship. Um, but again, with all like everything being said and everything that's taken place, they are still fine. I do like. I think it's interesting what Coach Marlin said yesterday about he thinks Southern Miss is going to lose a couple of games down the stretch. Um, the, it he starts, was very odd. Like, yeah, which, I, I, yeah, you I don't like, hear a lot of coaches say that, um, especially about a t- when they're not going to be playing them, so they wouldn't be involved in them losing games. But, um, yeah, the, the the end of the day, you still have basically everything you want in front of you, but, yeah, you're going to certainly have to go to 4-0 to have a chance to catch Southern Miss and – you know, again, I started looking kind of at the matchups, and that's what's going to be interesting. You know, the great thing is you get to double by, and you don't have to worry about, you know, a game in those first four days of the tournament if you're a top-four seed. But the, the funny thing about it is what what's then going to happen is the team you play in your first game is going to be a pretty good team, most likely. Uh, it's probably going to be a five, a six, or even a seven seed. But all three, you know, in all those scenarios, those are teams that finish in the top half of the league. So... Whereas you don't have to play an extra game, that extra game would, you know, in a different tournament format, would be against a team that finished towards the bottom. So now, UL, when you get to Pensacola, you better be ready game one because you're going to be playing potentially a team like Troy, a team like Old Dominion, uh, a team like Monroe, who's been pretty good throughout the year. So that's something to, to kind of keep in mind. Correct. And when you look at Southern Miss's schedule at South Alabama tomorrow night, who's playing better? They're playing better. Better. And that is a bit of a rivalry as well. So correct, a short little drive. South Alabama has been playing better. They're now six and eight, thirteen and fourteen overall. They've actually won two straight. They're right under ULM in the standings. Okay, so they they are a team that's playing better. Could you be looking ahead past them? Maybe. They play their final home game this Saturday. Southern Miss does. That's against Georgia Southern, who is a middle of the pack team, but seven capable. and seven, but capable. They're they're middle of the pack. But then it's at Old Dominion on that Wednesday. And OD, as we talked about, is right behind James Madison in the standings. So right now they're fifth, right? They'd be the five seed currently right now. If the tournament started today, Old Dominion would be the five seed. JMU would be the four. And then they have to go at Old Dominion, and then they have to close out against Texas State, which is wildly underperformed. Five and nine in conference play, twelve and fifteen overall, but it is a road game. So I don't know if I see two losses. Like I, I I'm not saying it can't happen, but the one that's the toughest challenge is going to be the old Dominion game for Southern Mess. Yeah, and Texas State's a team that has gotten healthier as Mason Harrell's come back. They're still trying to put things together. But the the thing about it, and maybe it's just because I because I heard Bob say that, so I'm kind of trying to read more into what he said there, but the, the good thing for a Cajun fan is that you don't see, maybe you don't see two losses right away, but you don't see four wins. It's There's no gimme games in that four-game stretch. Fair. Because That's fair. That's fair. the home game is against a very capable Georgia Southern team, and then it's three road games, and outside of maybe playing a team that's at the very bottom, Arkansas State or Georgia State, in the Sun Belt Conference, again, it's we've said it before all year, it's just not that easy to go into opponents' buildings and win now, games. So the Georgia Southern game, though, is at Hattiesburg. They haven't lost at home. Not to say that that can't happen, but they kind of feel themselves when they're <laughs> when they're at home. So, I, I, 
I, you know what I see? I see Southern Miss losing one game. Is what I see. And the Cajuns are still going to be in second place. The Troy game not, is not going to win. It's going to kill them, Dawson. It's that Coastal Carolina game. Coast, yeah, it, it really is. The Coastal game is the one that you're going to go back and go, woof. They've lost seven straight. They're a 10 and 16 team, four and 10 in conference play. And you lost to that team. You, 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 they had that one. They were up by double digits late and just gave it away. We'll see. Cajun men can get back on track, snap, snap that two game losing skid tomorrow night inside the Cajun Dome when they take on in state rival ULM. We got to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll update the foodie poll question of the week right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Foodie poll question of the day. What is your favorite king cake flavor? 53% of you say cream cheese. 16% say traditional. 6% say fruit. 25% of you say other. I did, while in the break, look at what JPK, the OD, had shared with us. And it's the mufalata king cake. No. No. Not trying that. Not trying it. Not doing it. Nope, 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 nope. And then he sh- <laughs> I saw another tweet. Okay, let me spoon feed it to you, Mr. RP3 Muflata King Cake. No, 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 no. Stop it. There'll be none of that. John Paul, Cajun Daddies, just shared a gift. Why? Why? I have questions too. Why? LC says chocolate slash Bavarian halvesies. Call. Oh, that's a different level there. Get half of it chocolate, half of it Bavarian? Hoodat Forever says lemon. Ooh, lemon is an underrated fruit flavor. Keep those votes coming on our foodie poll question of the day. What's your favorite king cake flavor? Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Game Hotline 337 that's 337-706-0111. Love to hear from you about LSU men's basketball team losing now 13 in a row. Will the streak be snapped on Saturday against South Kakalaka-Laka-Laka? Maybe. They're dreadful. Are they LSU dreadful? Feels that way. <laughs> Whoever gets to 61st wins. That'll be my early week prediction. You want to talk about the LSU men's basketball team woes? We can't. You want to talk Louisiana Raging Cajuns? They're going to be looking to snap a two-game skid tomorrow night inside the Cajun Dome when they welcome in in-state rival ULM. We heard from Bob Marlin last hour. 
We can talk about that if you like. We can talk about will Derek Carr come to the Saints, yes or no. He was officially released from his contract yesterday afternoon by the Las Vegas Raiders. Is he going to come to the Saints? Maybe. I did see after the news broke yesterday to the top contenders to get Derek Carr, the New Orleans Saints, and the Carolina Panthers. By the way, just throwing that out there. Oh, man. Can you imagine if he goes and is good for the Panthers and you miss out on Derek Carr, Saint fan? Bring it back with Andy Dalton. Let's run it back with the Red Rifle. I still try to make this a thing, and Dawson is not on board. A.K.A. D'Lo is not down with the Red Rifle coming back for year number two in the New Orleans Saints offense. So let's start there. Why do you hate Andy Dalton so much? Team first guy, humble. He's a great guy. Like I said, that has nothing to do with how he plays football. (laughs) And he's, again, like, I don't know. I, I know I've been a little dramatic about it. He's not, like, the worst quarterback on the face of the planet. He had some good years in Cincinnati. Yeah, he had a nice career in Cincinnati. Other people will, like, and I agree, like, he could have been worse. I'm not saying that, like, no quarterback on the face of the earth would have been worse. <laughs> I'm sure Ian Book would have been worse. But the the point of, like, he's, he's not going to take you anywhere you want to go, and... I don't know. I just don't want to be stuck in mediocrity. And I'm not saying we won't be stuck in mediocrity with Derek Carr because it's very possible because he's not, you know, he's not a top 10 quarterback. He's not a top tier guy. But correct. Um, Andy Dalton, especially the uh, the other thing he did is he does this thing where his stat lines don't look as bad as they should because he takes sacks instead of throwing incompletions or interceptions. This is correct. Which are probably in some situations even worse than throwing the interception. And he loves to back up in the pocket to take the sack. Like taking sacks to then remove you from field goal range instead of at least taking a shot down the field. Like it's He doesn't just... take sacks like when Joe Burrow and the 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 offensive line, the paper offensive line of the Cincinnati Bengals just crumbles. And Joe's like, oh, hello, there's four guys on me. It's not like that with Andy Dalton. No, no, there's actually some pass protection going on. He just backs up out of the pocket. It backs up like two or three yards and then takes a sack instead of throwing the ball away. Yeah, and then... <laughs> and that's why like I'm calls already, him crawfish. I'm already seeing these these narratives of like stat lines being thrown up there like against Arizona... When he threw for like 350 yards, like they were down by 28 at halftime or whatever it was. I mean, he threw two pick sixes, and then it's like, yeah, he threw for a couple hundred yards and two touchdowns in the second half. Like, I don't really care about what happened in garbage time. I really don't. The red rifle. So do you feel confident they can get Derek Carr? No. Not at all, really. I mean, I, it's possible. And, I mean, I know he's still getting mentioned in every, like, by everybody, but it it feels like if it was going to happen, it would have been the trade scenario. I just think that's what was the most realistic scenario for both sides. Um, the Saints are not. We know that. Yeah, Loomis will find a way to be able to offer him something, but it's not. He's not going to be able to be the highest bidder. Um, and you're then relying on Derek Carr 
coveting the Saints and working under Pete Carmichael and Dennis Allen for a pay a discount as well. Like we're we're really think is Derek Carr going to think New Orleans is that much of a destination opportunity to where he's going to take <clears throat> less pay to play for a defensive minded head coach and a completely unproven offensive coordinator where he could go somewhere like Carolina who can offer him a lot more money or Tampa who can offer him a lot more money or the Jets yeah, and we'll see with the Jets because right now it still sounds like the Jets have, you know, he's kind of the second option or third option for them. They have ideas of Rodgers and things like that. So maybe that becomes an option, maybe not. But yeah, I mean, again, if Rodgers comes out of his darkness retreat and says he's coming back to Green Bay or retiring or something Would like Rogers that. Would Rodgers really spend the twilight of his career in the same conference playing for team, playing against Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, and Patrick Mahomes? Well, if Aaron Rodgers thought like a normal person, maybe not, but I don't know the way Aaron Rodgers thinks, so I have no idea. What he, he is wants a to unique do. cat, as they like to say. Yeah, I have no clue. What I know he would want to do. I think the Jets can win with Derek Carr. Like the, I feel, and and not everyone agrees with me, but when I look at how the Jets roster has been constructed over the last few years, they've done it the right way. Built up line of scrimmage, defense, and they have. A stud cornerback, a stud young wide receiver, both rookies, both of them won rookie of the year. They have three running backs. So good line of scrimmage play, good defense, and playmakers on offense. They're quarterback away, right? And they're like a Derek Carr quarterback away from being a playoff team. Now, does Derek Carr make them a Super Bowl team? No, no. But I think a Derek Carr or a Jimmy G type of quarterback would make the Jets a playoff team and a team that definitely could be a wildcard team and win 10, 11 games. When you talk about impressive roster construction, they're this close and they punted away the number two overall pick essentially with Zach Wilson not working out at all. So imagine if that was A, a quarterback difference maker or B, another impact player Another impact player. And I mean, again, that's that's what happens. Like quarterbacks in the first round are like a 50-50 proposition. We overvalue them. And, and you have to though because you need one. And you so, over and they get drafted way too high. And they, they get do drafted. get drafted way too high, but they don't get drafted way too high because you need one. And you're not going to find the problem is now that they're overvalued and every everyone's taken in the first round. And there's a bunch of studies that have been done. Essentially, first round draft picks are still like basically a coin flip, no matter how much. And obviously, these are the smartest football people in the world making these decisions. But what then happens is since they are overvalued by everyone. If you want to wait and take a quarterback where they maybe should be valued in the second or third round, you're now taking the guys that used to be valued in the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds in the second and third rounds. So you, you're I'm not really debating losing that, out on but that. you overdraft them because the, that's the one position where it's all about fit. If you're a good offensive lineman, you can play on any team. If you're a good defensive lineman, you can play on any team. If you have skills as a DB, Maybe you don't necessarily, you know, you have to find the right fit there, right, if you play zone or if you play bump and run or whatever it may be. So so there's somewhat of a fit there, but <clears throat> it works. Quarterback is the one position in the NFL where it's all about fit with the coach, the scheme, and the team. And what happens is a team goes, well, we need a quarterback, and they're like, they convince themselves that that kid is a right fit when nine times out of ten, we all look at it and go, how is that a fit? 
and it happens every single year. And you know what? It's going to happen again this year, right? In the and first round, and you go that kid, it, and we you don't we don't give the quarterbacks the NFL and the way they have now viewed things and how they operate with the drafting of the quarterback. They don't give the quarterback a chance to develop and to thrive. You're putting people in situations that they're not prepared for, or you're trying to make a round peg fit in a square hole over and over again with that position. We do it every single year. And this is why you see a guy like Zach Wilson, he's going to be off his team in two years. Or Sam Darnold was Jets after a couple of years. Like We do this every Baker Mayfield. I can go go back over and over again, generation after generation. It happens over and over again because teams are so desperate to find the quarterback that they look past things that don't make sense, that they know that's not a fit, but you know what? We need a guy. That's the one position you can't do that with, Dawson. You just can't do that with. Well, the other thing that I think is becoming more and more prevalent, and it's, and it's, it's difficult from a front office perspective, is that now the way the model kind of is, if you're going to rebuild, if you're going to tear it down, you know, tank, so to speak, everything gets torn down, you're really bad, you have a top-five pick, you take a quarterback, you try and build something around the quarterback and build everything else back up. But what you're doing then is you're putting these young quarterbacks in horrible situations where the roster's still completely deconstructed. And from a coaching perspective, you don't necessarily even know what your identity's going to be. You're still trying to build everything, and you're saying, here's the guy, we'll build it around him. What I think is far more successful, and it's a lot more difficult to do, but it's what Philadelphia kind of essentially did, right? They built everything up around the, the position, and then they took a quarterback when they didn't need one. It's the same thing Kansas City did. They took a quarterback when they didn't need one. Correct. They had the infrastructure in place, so when that quarterback went in, you already got to look at what he was. So, like, for instance, Daniel Jones. And now, like, it might work out with the Giants. It looks like it's turning around. But Daniel Jones, for a few years, was kind of outcasted as a guy who didn't have anything, but he was playing in a completely dysfunctional system with a roster around him that wasn't ready to compete yet. Correct. And look, every once in a while, you're going to find an Andrew Luck or a Cam Newton, or, or a Peyton, Peyton Manning. Manning. And even Manning, again, at the beginning, it was it was rough at the beginning. The but every once bad. in a while, you'll find that guy who is that special that he can kind of make everything work anyway, and you can build around him. But I think more times than not, especially in today's game, the more successful teams are the ones that are taking the roster, building everything up, and drafting the quarterback or finding the quarterback when everything else is almost in place. And for the Jets, maybe they kind of accelerated that timeline and they were able to build around Zach Wilson and he didn't work out. So in their case, you know, maybe maybe that was what they did, but maybe Zach Wilson would have been a lot better suited being picked one year later. It's just I think it's a lot more difficult to take the quarterback even though it is the most important position. But and you again, can't build it, that way. But you can't but it's just so difficult to but, do. But but it's shown over and over again the right way to do it. New England did it back in the day when Tom Brady was able to be inserted because the team was already built. Green Bay with Favre to Rodgers. Favre to Rodgers, right? And now it looks like maybe Rodgers to love. Seattle built their team, and then Russell Wilson beats out Matt Flynn during training camp and wins that job, and they go to a couple Super Bowls. Like, so we've seen it over. Look at Baltimore. They took Lamar Jackson when they didn't need to. They didn't need to, but they were already built, right? You see the success over and over and over and over again. And look, Cincinnati had to take Joe Burrow because you saw that that you, you knew that that guy was the guy, right? He, you, he, he probably goes into the Andrew Luck category. Andrew Luck, Payne Manning, we'll really special out. generational guy that 
is going to make your team instantly better, even with a crap roster. And you still have to get it right everywhere else, which Cincinnati pretty much did, and now is you know they're still, fine. They're, still they're finalizing on, it, but they pretty much did. They pretty much have. They're still working on the offensive line, but yeah, they figured it out. But that's the exception to the rule. Like that. That's that's the exception. Everyone else is built, or should be built, the other way. And so many times we're having the and the other the other problem is like, and this I'm not to defending Baker Mayfield here okay or anyone baker mayfield johnny manziel pick a quarterback rookie quarterbacks being the savior no that, that's that's never going to work it, it t- nine times nine times out of ten it doesn't work it works for Peyton manning it worked for andrew luck it was worked for joe burrow but that list is small man it's a small list, and that's the problem. All these GMs and owners convince themselves, "Oh, the quarterback's the missing piece. He's the guy. He can be our he can be our franchise savior." Well, the Browns have done that for you know twenty five years. It hasn't worked, right? Just hasn't worked. They keep you keep doing it over and over again. The Jets have struggled. You know, you look when the Jets went to the AFC Championship game. Mark Sanchez did not guide them to the AFC Championship game. He was a serviceable quarterback for a team that was already built. Done. The blueprint's not. Look at Kansas City. They already had Alex Smith, a Pro Bowl quarterback. Andy Reid turned Alex Smith into a Pro Bowl quarterback, and then they drafted Patrick Mahomes. There's a way to do it, man. There's a way to do it. And you watch it and you just go, mm-hmm. not for sure. Not for sure how that works. Landing spots for Derek Carr. This is from NFL.com. There are four top four spots for Derek Carr to land. New York Jets. That's top on the list. The Saints. So it's the Jets, the Saints, they even say, don't, don't worry about being refusing the trade. That's just simply, hey, he wanted to pick where he wanted to go. The Panthers. And they say the Tennessee Titans. They probably want to move on from Ryan Tannehill, who's going to be 35 in July and owed $36.6 million this season. Uh, his backup, when you did see him play this year, woo. Does not look like a guy that's ready to play. And they feel like they're a team that's built to win now. So Carr is going to, it's just not Saints. Got to worry about the Panthers. Got to worry about the Jets. And worry about the Tennessee Titans as well. Got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
when you're around this sport for a long time, you understand the importance of having that Harley J. Earl trophy and having your name on it. And, and when you look at the names that are on it, you understand uh, the significance of who's won the race. And, you know, if you've done your job and properly understand what NASCAR racing is all about, uh, Daytona has that huge significance of what we what we are all about and with the racing on the beach and uh, how it's migrated into you know the biggest single race in our sport uh, understanding the the day the significance and especially the daytona 500 is is important kevin harvick 2014 cup champion man that won the daytona 500 back in 2007 talking about huh, sunday's race Get the Super Bowl one Sunday. Next Sunday, get the Super Bowl of racing. Daytona 500, we'll have it for you here on the game live. Who's going to win? We'll get to that later in the week. Toby Christie is going to join us on Friday to help us preview the great American race. It's an interesting field. It's always intrigues me over the years that, day, that NASCAR's biggest race is its first. You're like, what? I remember when I first tried to start understanding NASCAR and started watching it a little bit. I was like, what? What do you mean the biggest race of the year is its first race? Shouldn't the biggest race of the year be at the end? Shouldn't the Daytona 500 be at the end? Not the beginning? But that's how it's built. Harvick is probably, what, the oldest guy in the field for the Daytona 500 this Sunday? Has to be. Yeah, I'll have to. I, I would have to check just because um, I think he still is. Because Jimmy Johnson's coming back and running this race, uh, but he's doing like the little like yeah. yeah it's just a one off race. He's not going to be competing full time. But right. this is Harvick's last full time season. He announced. So Harvick is nearing the end. This will be probably the last. This will be the last Daytona 500 for him as a regular driver. It is the one that you want to win. Obviously, you want to be a cup champion. That's the ultimate goal. But winning the Daytona 500 is special. And two years ago, Michael McDowell, a veteran driver on multiple different levels, had never won a race. He never won a race on the cup circuit until he won the Daytona 500. Can you imagine that? Being like, 37 years old, you're towards the tail end of your career, and your first cup win just so happens to be the Daytona 500. And McDowell talked about how important and how special the race is. There's a tremendous amount of pressure, regardless of whether you've won or not won, because you're only as good as your last race, and you're only as good as your last Daytona 500 win, right? And so you're always pursuing that next but for me personally, there is a confidence and a calmness that came as a reward of winning the 500. And it's not something that you can fabricate. It's not something that, or I could fabricate. It just kind of happened. The following year, you still feel the pressure. You still get the jitters. You know what's on the line. You know how big of a race it is. But there was a confidence and a calmness different than in years past. Bubba Wallace is one of the young stars in NASCAR these days. And 
he's done extremely well, the Mobile native has, at Daytona. Now, he hasn't won it. He hasn't got the checkered flag, but he finished second in 2018, which was kind of his breakout season. And then he finished second again last year. So he has two runner-up finishes for the Daytona 500, and the young star spoke about how important the race is to him. When it was trucks and Xfinity, I would just be ho-hum, boom, wrecked. And I hated it. I hated speedway racing. But then got into a cup car, did the July race, filling in, and had a blast. And it was like, damn, this is actually pretty fun. And so I don't know if it was your mindset changes towards it and all of a sudden you start running good. But, you know, hopped in for day 2518, finished second, finished really good at the other plate races too. So just, I don't know. I think I will agree it has come a long way, but now it just seems to just kind of click. But in the back of my mind, though, that's a realistic size, like, any moment can take you out. Like, you could be done lap one. How funny is that, Dawson, that a guy that struggled on those type of tracks, he's really had his most success as a cup driver on what I call the big mega tracks, right? Daytona, he's got two runner-up finishes. His first win was at Talladega for the Yellowwood 500 in 2021. So the tracks that always kind of frustrated him when he was in the lower classifications are actually the one that he, ones that he actually performs better at as a cup driver. Yeah, and the speedways have been interesting because they are a little bit different. So when you say Michael McDowell gets his first win, he's always been on kind of the underfunded teams, but Daytona right. kind of brings the field together. Um, the way the racing is, it's pack racing, so guys with less speed traditionally have better chances. But there, it's also like an art to speedway racing. And, yeah, a lot of the guys who struggle elsewhere do well there. Um, the rules packages have been changing. They have a new car now. So, like, a lot of things have been changing. So some guys have been better to adapt at that. And Bubba's been one of them. He's been, over the last three to four years, kind of become one of the favorites traditionally. Every time you go to Daytona and Talladega, he's one of the guys who's in the running and has a good chance to win every time out. Because it is a different style of racing. 100%. I mean, right. very, Daytona and Talladega and now Atlanta has been repaved and is kind of the third – uh, version of it but yeah those those tracks provide completely unique experiences daytona 500 sunday we'll have it for you right here on the game live coverage from start to finish who will win will it be bubba will it be kevin harvick will kyle larson the 2021 cup champion could he get the checkered flag y'all have to tune in wednesday uh, tune in sunday to find out and you can do so right here on the game we got to take a timeout. When we return, Ron Higgins, the Mad Dog, will join us talking all things LSU. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. What a great Tiger. Half the week is in the books, which means it's time to talk Bayou Bengals with Tiger Details columnist, the mad dog himself, Ron Higgins. Here is Hold That Tiger on RP3 and Company. Oh, the mad dog, Ron Higgins, joins us here on RP3 and Company. But aren't you glad you stayed up late? to watch the LSU men's basketball team find a way to lose that game last night. Yeah, that was a brilliant inbounds play. Just brilliant. 
He's so I'm glad he called that timeout that he should have called after after LSU scored the go-ahead basket, which 99.9% of the coaches do. But he didn't. And Georgia came right back down and got made a hell of a, hell of a drive. Put him up by one. And, and, then, and then LSU called timeout to drop that magnificent imbalance play that involved Ugh. involved three passes. No, two I'm sorry, two passes. Uh one to somebody stepping out of bounds to catch the ball, which is legal, and then trying to throw the ball back to the guy. It's like a it's like a trying to throw a ball back to the quarterback on a trick play. Uh, the angle is always bad. It doesn't work very often, and somebody is never fooled. Uh, and that—that's—I guess that's, that's the—I guess that's the best they had at Murray State uh, on a final. Maybe it worked at Murray State. I don't know. Uh, uh, well, they lose again, Bud. Thirteen in a row now. Uh, they're not going to have a winning record overall. That that ship has sailed. They would have to go four and one to to even have an opportunity at that. So. Does the losing skid end Saturday inside the PMAC when they have to play equally dreadful South Carolina? Uh, if it doesn't, I don't know when it will won't end. I mean, because South Carolina is is uh, you know one game ahead of LSU and the SEC seller. SEC, SEC is the bottom. Uh, LSU is the bottom. SEC looking up. They're 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 set for that. Uh, the always exciting Wednesday night. First, uh, well, actually, it's the second game on the. That if you finish 14th, you play in the last game on the first nine on Wednesday night, Wednesday night in the SEC tournament. Uh, uh, that's the the buses team buses outside running game, uh, uh, and uh, no, I mean this is their best chance. I mean that they've got some other ones on on the schedule, but some of these teams that have improved. I mean, Vandy's on a roll. Uh, they got Vandy next Wednesday at home. They play Ole Miss at. Uh, at Ole Miss, uh, they have a shot there. They play play at home versus Missouri. Missouri's kind of up and down. They play at Florida. LSU never plays well at Florida. So, yeah, this this is their best chance coming up. I mean, uh, Georgia was a legit chance, and uh, LSU did some fun, did some, some decent things well, but they threw the ball away like 19 times. And uh, I, I still. Uh, it's just, I, I just, I, I, I know Adam Miller's a really good kid. I mean, he, I mean, people like him, but somebody tell him to quit shooting, please. Just, just, just stop. <laughs> tell him, tell him to quit I shooting. Mean, he says. I mean, after the, Ray, I don't understand this. After the last game of home game, he talked about he had to go back out and get after the game, get some shots up. Now, what does that exactly mean? Does that mean running? Running off an imaginary screen at, at, at 22 feet and lofting up a, a, a left-handed bomb, falling backwards. I mean, I, I don't know if the guy ever shoots a shot on balance. I don't know, Bud. I don't have. I don't have the answer you're looking for. And I don't understand why the coach should take him aside and say, "Listen, you're never going to make a shot ever unless unless you know how to do this. Unless you unless you train yourself to shoot off balance, you're never going to make a shot." He's their second Every, best option at scoring the basketball, Ron. Think about that. I mean, he's the best option, but but 
but, but let other people. I let other people just try anything. Then they had him just lost it up at the most inappropriate times. I mean, last night KJ Williams had 18 points. It's the first game in about four or five that he actually like played like he really kind of cared. I mean, really, you know, this guy's six ten, two fifty. It's the first time in four or five games where he posted strong, where he 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 got in the post, got wide, made him safe felt available, put a put a hand up for a target. And his teammates gave him the ball immediately. This hasn't been done in like five or six games. That's another thing. I don't understand how that, that they don't see that on film either. It's a little basic things like like that. that you know, it's the difference between with this team from getting you know beat by thirty and getting beat by fifteen. You know, I mean, uh, it's not good. It's not good, Ron. I have I have a question. It's a listener submitted question. Are you ready? Uh huh. Okay, because 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 the people the people here in Southwest Louisiana love you. Okay. Our guy Ralph says, please ask Mad Dog if he had to cast this LSU men's basketball team in a movie, because obviously, you know, you're now spending all your time on film sets and television sets. What would the movie be called? Gee whiz. <laughs> Castaway? <laughs> that's, 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 you know, that, that's, that's the story of LSU's possessions almost every game. Castaway. <laughs> Oh, bravo. All right, but let's switch gears to the women's basketball team. Humbling game. Uh, the way I heard Kim speak afterwards is exactly what I anticipated. She made yeah, sure to be complimentary to South Carolina. She also made sure to let everyone know that essentially it's South Carolina and everybody else. And 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 for those of us who follow basketball and follow women's basketball, we already knew that. Uh, but it was good to hear Kim say that. And that South Carolina is where they want to be. They're not there yet. What's the one thing that stood out the most to you from the loss on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, in uh, Columbia? Uh, South Carolina's uh, depth and length and size. I mean, just a ton of big people, a lot of depth, uh, more physical, uh, just uh, just a. a, a a lot more talent. LSU's not there yet. Uh, LSU will probably get close to that next year. And, and, and if, L, if LSU went to the Final Four this year, this year, that'd be like the most shocking thing ever because they're just not, unless they're in the right bracket, they're just, they're just not there yet. Uh, they don't have enough inside help for Angel Reese. They don't have enough depth off the bench uh, in those positions. Uh, they're just not there yet, and it, it's okay because nobody thought they'd, you know, be this far along anyway. I mean, with this one loss, in uh, a and a really good basketball team, still ranked number five, uh, and you know she's got two killer recruits coming in. One one could be the Naismith National Player of the Year. That's not even counting the transfer portal, which she'll probably hit hit again hard too. So, I would say uh, she's far ahead of schedule, and. Sunday didn't surprise me. Well, I thought what happened happened, uh, and uh, and next year they will play a tougher non-conference schedule because their team will be more experienced and got some people who can play, and uh, so they'll be better prepared for it. Uh, and you know, and, and uh, after you know after the game, Don Staley complimented complimented Mulkey. He said, "Listen, I mean, Kim knows how to win. She knows how to build teams. You know." Uh, when we play next year, I don't know what's going to happen. 
you know, because be on, you know, because they know she'll be a lot better. Uh, Ron, I'm sure it's not, Ron, you not mentioned something I want I want to follow up on. You mentioned you think that just getting to a Final Four would be a great accomplishment, and a lot of folks felt that this was a Final Four team no matter what. And I, I think I think they're going to be a two seed. I think it's going to be difficult, and they haven't played the level of competition a lot of these other teams that they're going to be possibly facing, like a Stanford or like a Maryland or like a UConn or someone like that, like South Carolina has already faced and defeated. They're not going to face that. So did, did Sunday's game give you pause on what their postseason potential could be? My, I mean, I think – I think they can get to the Sweet 16 for sure. Um, maybe a regional final, depending on what that Israel Sweet 16 draw. But I don't. There are some teams I don't see. Them, I, don't, I don't see them beating. They're not going to beat South Carolina. They can play South Carolina ten times this year and, and not win. Uh, UConn's probably better. Stanford's probably better. Uh, there's some teams better than LSU. They just don't have enough. I mean, they have they have good players, but not enough of them. They just don't have enough good players. Uh, I would like, you know, I like the way LSU plays with confidence, but sometimes they just need to. Some of their swag is a bit too much, and they just need to play basketball. Uh, and like the confidence they play with, but sometimes they just need to go out and play. And I mean, uh, love Angel Morris. No, she she plays, says she plays the way she plays when she's from the playgrounds of Baltimore. But if I'm getting my butt kicked and I score a basket on somebody, I'm not going to put do the too small pantomime sign, okay? <laughs> it's very, very, <laughs> very good, brother. Very good. All right, I'll get you out of here with this. Go ahead. It's our foodie poll question of the week, Mad Dog. It's mm-hmm. the most important question you're going to be asked all week. I can guarantee you. You ready? Yeah. What is your favorite? king cake flavor is it the traditional where it doesn't have any filling it just the cake speaks for itself is it one filled with cream cheese is it one with any type of fruit whether that's strawberry or blueberry or raspberry whatever it might be or is it something else like pecan praline or chocolate what's the mad dog's favorite king cake flavor i probably with cream cheese all day yes cream cheese oh yeah there uh, it is and uh before I go, I want to give a big shout out to my dog Skippy the Wonder Bichon, who who got me out of bed at seven fifteen because I didn't set my alarm. He let me know that I had a radio appearance at seven thirty. Shout out to the pup for stepping yep. up in a big way. Oh man, yeah, he, yes. He, 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 he's kind of scratching on, on the bed and looked at me. and Goes, "What are you doing, Raymond? You got Raymond about fifteen minutes. You get your butt out of bed." Okay. <laughs> I said, okay, Skip, I got you, but you got to feed me first, okay? Before you go talk to him, you feed me. You understand me? I said, okay, I got you. All right, I'm uh, up. Matt, Mad Dog, you do know now I'm going to have to have some sort of photo of the pup because my daughter is obsessed with animals. We have a dog ourselves. She is deaf, by the way, which is a challenge and uh, makes things interesting. And we have a cat. So it's all about the animals in the household and uh, making them be, you know, essentially uh, a brothers and sisters. So. I'm sure she's listening. I'm sure she's going to want to know what your pup looks like. So if you could shoot me a photo, I'd greatly appreciate that. I will. He, he's also – Skippy is also on his brother's website, Buddy the Wonder Bichon, on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> Buddy, the Wonder, Buddy the Wonder Bichon on Facebook. That's Skippy's brother. 
they have a website together on Facebook. So he's always available to see be seen on there. But I'll, I'll send you a picture. Outstanding. Uh, that makes my yeah. day. We should have just spent the entire segment talking about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Next week. All right. <laughs> Thanks, brother. <laughs> this is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Foodie poll question of the day. What is your favorite king cake flavor? Is it the traditional? Just let the deliciousness come through by itself. Doesn't need filling. Is that your jam? Do you like cream cheese? Ooh, that's my favorite. What about fruit? A little strawberry, maybe raspberry, blueberry, lemon. Or is it other? Different flavors like chocolate, pecan praline. Right now, we've had some shifting in the voting. Or as I like to say on election night, we still have ballots out. This district has now reported 80%. 44% say cream cheese. 26% say traditional. 20% say other. 10% say fruit as their go-to. No one is saying mufalata, and that is rightfully so. Thank you. B-Rad says, Simonin, side note, the NFL finally did something decent and rescinded the fines for Dennis Allen and Cam Jordan. Anyone with any common sense knew he was not faking that injury. And you know what's cool about that? Not only did they rescind those fines, but Dennis Allen and his wife still donated 100 k to a charity. I like that. I like that. So they took an opportunity with the NFL being stupid with alleging that they were faking an injury and turn that into an opportunity to pay it forward and actually help out a charity. So shout out to Dennis Allen and his wife for doing that. I haven't said shout out to Dennis Allen probably ever, especially after this last season. But hey, this goes beyond football, so respect to him for that. John Paul, the Cajun Daddy, says, maybe next week for those of us trying to drop a little weight, how about what is your favorite lettuce or maybe kind of apple? That would be nice. John, John Paul wants us to talk about some diet food. He'll be like, which diet fad fails you more than the rest? That could be our foodie poll question of the week next week. Doug says, my favorite is lemon. Ooh, you know, a good lemon king cake. It's been a while since I had one. That's really good. It is really good. T. Wirt says, I believe the correct and most appropriate answer is yes. Yeah, all of them. Have you ever turned down king cake, Dawson? Are you the type of person that turns down the cake of kings? No. I said that before. I, just, I'm just double checking. And We're still getting to know each other. That's a problem, too, because even if I'm trying to watch what I eat, I'm not very good at all at being the guy. Like, 
at my own house, when I'm in control of what I'm eating, pretty good with it. You know, I'll right. just start cooking a little healthier. I'm not buying right. the cakes and pastries right. or whatever. A little grilled chicken, function, some lettuce wraps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. If I'm at a function and I'm offered cake, if the cake's there, it's already tough. You're just kind of looking at, well, the cake's right there. And then if you're offered a piece, I'm not going to be rude. So I'll eat the cake. <laughs> Mama didn't raise him to be rude. I'll do a little extra cardio at the end of the day. <laughs> Dude. A little extra cardio or, or, I'm going to throw this out there to you. Take a nap in your recliner. You could do either one. <laughs> either one is the appropriate way of dealing with eating king cake earlier in the day. Keep voting on our foodie poll question of the week. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Hour number two is in the book. We are scheduled to have Jay Walker, but he's boarding a flight. We'll see if we can have the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns come on the show and for how long it may be. We'll play it by ear. That's all next, right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Eight oh three on the clock here for RP3 and Company. Final hour of this Hump Day edition of our show. Typically. On Wednesdays, we talk to Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. My man is boarding a flight, so we're going to reschedule with Jay for tomorrow. He's actually flying down to Florida for the Tax Acts Clearwater Invitational, the huge tournament with some of the best softball programs in the country are taking part in, including Jerry Glasgow's team. So we'll talk to Jay about that tournament and about the men's basketball team and more, all things Raging Cajun. That'll be tomorrow now. Okay. We don't want to be, look, we don't want to be responsible for why Jay would be the guy talking loudly on his cell phone on the airplane. We don't want to be, we don't want to be responsible for that. And we don't want to put Jay in that bad spot. Jay's a friend of the show, friend of the station. We don't want to put Jay there. That's not right. Yeah, we don't want TSA tackling anybody on the middle interview. We don't need any. Yeah, we don't need, we don't need uh, the treasure that is Jay Walker to be, you know, tackled, uh, you know, roughly. (laughs) <laughs> into a seat on the airplane that would not be good for us or for jay or for the other passengers on the flight to florida dawson so we had to do the right thing had to do the right thing coming up half an hour from right now here on rp3 and company Vinny Iyer from the sporting news will be joining us nfl reporter columnist you can get his thoughts on uh, super bowl 57 and about an interesting offseason, especially with a quarterback market that seems to be all over the place. So that'll be coming up half an hour from right now. We'll also take your phone calls here. If you'd like, game hotline is open 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. LSU men's basketball team went on the road last night to Athens, Georgia. Had a chance to win the game had a chance to snap its 12-game losing skid. Unfortunately for the Tigers, that did not happen. They go up 
K.J. Williams had himself a good game. He scores the go-ahead bucket. There's like, what, seven seconds left? And then LSU just lets Georgia just go right down the court. (laughs) Tax the lane. Floater off the glass. Go-ahead bucket, Ugga. But there was still 4.4 seconds left, and LSU had the ball. They called a timeout. Didn't call the timeout before to let Georgia go all the way down and score, but they called a timeout. Matt McMahon said, okay, let's draw it up. Game-winning play, only down by one. We just need two for the win on the road. Snap the 12-game losing skid. Get on track. Feel good about ourselves and make the folks back home in BR in the state of Louisiana feel good about the purple and gold men's basketball team. And that play ended up being a turnover. And there's no better way to summarize this team this season than that play, that sequence. Is there? The two things they've struggled with more than anything else when you watch this team play. Turnovers. And sometimes they turn over the ball when there's not even a person around. Like, those are the worst kinds. It's one thing if someone is, you know, pressing you and you cough up the ball because of the press, right? Or just a really good defensive player. Knocks the ball at your hand. Okay. That's a one-on-one matchup. That guy won the matchup. It's another thing to struggle with inbounding the basketball or just dribbling the ball off your foot. And there it goes. Rolling out of bounds. Turnovers. And this is a team that can't shoot. Now look, my basketball experience, my excellence on the hardwood, if you will, peaked back in high school when I was part of a back-to-back intramural championship squad. I also led the league in personal fouls. D'Lo, let me tell you, when I played, I did a few things very well. Shooting was not one of them. I could rebound. And I enjoyed, because of my height, especially if you were a smack talker, if you decided that you wanted to run off at the mouth during a game, I made you pay for that running off at the mouth with an elbow to the chest, or you come up to the basket, you are going to be on the floor and on the floor in a hard fashion. Or if you were short, I would take the ball that you tried to throw in on the inbounds pass and then bounce it off your head. I was the enforcer. So what I do. I, I just want to clarify here, so maybe I didn't hear it right. Your high school had intramural basketball? Yes, sir. Wow. I went to high school in the Midwest in Illinois. Basketball is very big there. So we had intramural leagues for basketball. And we actually played in our old gym at Casey Westfield High School, which was actually in the basement. They built the original gym in the ground. So the school was above it. And the the court in the you know arena was down below. 
So we actually played in the old basketball gym. We played like at night. It wasn't even during like the day. Like we actually had, I think it was like Tuesday or Thursday nights. Whenever the actual high school team wasn't playing, we played our league games, which was really cool. I was like, well, I'm not good enough to play <laughs> on the high school team. But I brought a vigor, not athletic, but I like to play a Bill Lambeer style of basketball. I'm going to make you work for it. You're going to beat me? That's fine. You're going to feel it the next morning. And sometimes did people get, did some people not appreciate my vigor for tough basketball playing? Sure. They got over it. Or maybe they didn't as I was, you know, part of a back-to-back championship. Yeah. Just saying. So obviously my basketball skill set and my basketball experience is minimal. But this is something I do know. If you turn over the ball a lot and you can't shoot, that feels like to me to be a formula for losing basketball games. It's that simple, right? I mean, we don't have to overthink what's wrong with LSU. They turn over the ball too much. They can't shoot. It's just that simple. It was a roundabout way to set up that take, but we'll go with it. Um, Yeah, typically... (laughs) You can put scoring more points than the other team on keys to winning outside of not turning it over as well. That one's always pretty important in the long run. But yeah, no, I mean it's it's like when you when you have really bad teams and you compare bad teams to other bad teams, they probably do a lot of the same things and then you compare good teams to good teams and traditionally they do a lot of the same things and then the teams that are in the middle probably do a few things well and a few things unwell. This LSU team doesn't do much well at all right now. Um really at either end. Now they play they do play hard and that's they do play hard for Matt. It's, we've, we've, they do similar to McNeese, like we, you know, the same idea. Like they play hard, which, like some bad teams don't play hard, and that's another reason they're bad. Um, but that's not the case Nothing here. Nothing so kills a team worse than indifference. Well, and, and a right? mediocre team that doesn't play hard is one of the most frustrating, or a really good team that doesn't play hard and then is mediocre because of it. Those things are really frustrating. So, I mean, that makes it more, you know, palatable to watch. High effort, high intensity, um, even despite. Just not doing it all that well. I'm sure you were the same way. You were the, you were an energy guy, right? I was an energy guy. Yeah, total energy guy. Yeah, I I played I played junior high football. Once again, I was not an athlete. I tried everything. Grew up playing baseball. Loved baseball. Wanted to be a baseball player. Didn't work out. I played freshman baseball in high school. I played junior high football. I played you know intramural basketball. Played tennis for a couple years. Even did golf for a year. I tried it all. I was terrible at all of it. But I was the energy guy. I had a football coach tell me once, <laughs> Coach Mo at Dutchtown Middle. He goes, he goes, Raymond, you have absolutely no talent, but you got heart, son, and I love it. If I could put your heart in his body, we'd be great. <laughs> I was like, well, thanks, Coach, because I was the guy. You know, I was I was a practice guy. I, I practice hard, right? I, I never, there was never, I was the high energy guy. I practice hard. I gave forth effort. I was coachable. Right, so I, I was that guy. Big on intangibles the guy. I was a big intangibles guy. Yes, that's how I was raised. Big intangibles guy. But yeah, I remember that. Yeah, coach, like, you have got no talent, but you got a ton of heart. <laughs> Thanks, coach. Ready. I played freshman baseball at East Ascension. I've told this story before. So I couldn't even get on the field for the freshman team. Right. <laughs> it's just freshmen. Now EA is a five A high school. It was back then and still is. So, (laughs) 
couldn't even get on the field. And a couple of my buddies, none of us could get on the field. And we were kind of frustrated. And we were losing. So not only did we not get on the field as a freshman for the freshman team, our freshman team sucked. We were terrible. So I finally get into a game, Dawson. It's the only time I got to play all season. The only time I got to play all season. And I'm like, I'm taking advantage of this. And at this time, I was not the big, bald, beautiful one. I was skinny. Very, I was very skinny. So I'm like, all right. I got in as a pinch runner. I'm like, all right. It's my moment. It's my chance. In a freshman game that we're losing by like seven runs. It's not even close, dude. It's not even close. Gets hit into the gap between center and right field. And I, I, I'm get, I, it's a hit and run situation. So I get sent. First base coach says, you're going to go no matter what. I said, all right. I just dart out. And I come around second, and I keep coming around, and I go into third, and they're waving me because it got hit in the gap, and the fielder falls down. <laughs> falls down, and the ball's just rolling back there, and no one can go grab the ball. So I come, and I see, and I get around third base. I get sent all the way from first to come all the way home, and it's my moment. There's no throw at the plate, by the way. I'm just going to go ahead and throw, throw it out there. There's no throw at the plate. You know what I do? I'm like, it's time to Pete Rose this. I dive chest first down, slide into home plate. And my coach goes, Parch, why did you do that? And I go, coach, this is the only time I'm going to get to play this season. I wanted to get my my uniform dirty. He looked at me and he goes, I respect that. I was so happy that I got I had I had dirt all over my uniform. I was happy. There was no there was not even a throw. There was no throw. There was no cutoff man to throw make the throw. There was no throw. But I was like, I'm never going to play again and guess what? I didn't. I didn't get to play again the rest of the season. We were terrible. We were terrible. Just like LSU basketball is right now. But you're going to have to give the program time. He took over an impossible situation, had to build the roster from scratch. I would expect expect Matt McMahon, he's going to try to recruit hard. We expect him to hit the transfer portal probably pretty hard this offseason. But what's going to make it more difficult, Dawson, is we still don't know what the NCAA is going to do. Right? You hope if you're LSU, they make some decision in the next few weeks and just say, well, hey, you're banned from the postseason for this season. You're like, okay, great. Oh, oh, please, that's fine. Because what's going to happen if he gets a good recruiting class and gets some talented guys in there and then the NCAA drops the hammer and says, you have a postseason ban. That's going to keep – there's a reason why his contract is, what, eight years? It's a really long contract because Woodward knew exactly what – his new basketball coach was inheriting and exactly what the problems were for this team moving forward. We got to take a timeout. Hotline's open, though. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller. Constantly making large bets. 
But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet that netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, let's head out to the game hotline. Brent has been patiently waiting. He wants to talk about Kevin Foote's favorite NFL player currently in the league, Mr. Aaron Rodgers. Brent, good morning, bud. How you doing, man? What you think about that cat? Something's wrong with him or he just, you think he does that for attention? Uh, you know, look, <laughs> so oh, oh, I'll dive in here. So Aaron Rodgers, if, in case you don't know what Brent's talking about, is that he went on a darkness retreat. Uh, he has not gone yet. He's scheduled he, oh, he two. still he, hasn't he gone. Corrected that narrative on the Pat McAfee show yesterday. Okay, so he, he, he's scheduled for later in the week. Later in the week, where he's going to go to a place where he's going to be just succumbed by darkness for what four days, something like that. Okay. I think he said three days, and he's going to be in a, and I, so I said, well, they just bringing it out. I think he's doing that for attention, and I just wanted your opinion on that. And uh, one more thing, I want to remind you about my. Uh, about my mascot thing, because baseball's fixing to come around, which is my favorite sport. But I got the two to start you off with: the Philly fanatic, and uh, you know we got to have Orbit on the list. Oh, I love that! I love that. Appreciate the phone call, Brent. Have a tremendous day, bud. You too, man. See y'all later. So let's talk about the mascots real quick. Okay. Is the Philly fanatic a great mascot? Yes. Would I? RP3, diehard Atlanta Braves fan, and an enemy of Philadelphia sports, period. Would I be inclined to possibly spear the Philly fanatic off the dugout? My younger self would do so. Now I am far more respectable. Eh. I'm just older. <laughs> I... The Fanatic is great. The Fanatic is great. Don't get me wrong. I can at least appreciate what the Fanatic brings to the table, even though I despise the Philadelphia Phillies. But who wins in that match? The Fanatic or Orbit? The Fanatic has more name recognition. Battle Royale or like just better mascot? Like like, like, Like old school celebrity death match is what I'm talking about here. I don't know, man. I mean, the orb, Orbit is an alien, but I don't even know what the fanatic is. Is he a mythical creature of some sort? Maybe. They kind of look like siblings. <laughs> Distant cousins, maybe? Mascots are a trip, man. I, I Look, a lot of people don't like mascots for their, their sports teams, okay? They think it's goofy or they think it's silly, but I'm telling you. Kids love them, man. And if you can get your kid or a kid in general to go to a live sporting event these days and not be obsessed about being on a device because someone's dressed up in a costume, that's a win. It just is. 
that's a win. And maybe they'll fall in love with that sport because they remember having fun seeing the ridiculous person in the mascot, you know, outfit. Like, like I'm I'm making fun of myself here because again, like sports is pretty much all I do. But like, we are watching grown men play a child's game in the first place. So I don't know if the dressed up guy is really the weirdest thing about the whole situation. <laughs> there it is. There it is. It's true, man. It's a kid's game. So like, I just. You know, look, they do a really nice job of with the mascots at like minor league baseball, right? They 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 embrace the absurdity of it all and have fun with it because really, it minor league baseball is all about getting families to bring their kids out. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Now, look, you'll have some guys that'll go just to go because they love baseball. I'm talking about yours truly, who two years ago drove all the way to Jackson to see the Double A Braves play. Okay, and brought some buddies of mine, and we all just drove over and drove back. I, look, I, I love baseball. I love minor league baseball. But having that there, they fully embrace the whole thing because they try to make it a family environment. So having a mascot is fun. Why do you think it was so cool to see the Fabulous Cajun Chicken? Right? You were there at that game. We were all there. Everyone at the station was at that game. It was a great atmosphere, and the fans and the kids loved. The adults loved it, too, that remember grew up watching the Cajun Chicken perform at games. But the kids loved it, man. They couldn't wait. Every time he came back out, he came out of the tunnel to get back onto the court, the kids all jumped out of their seats. You were there. They all jumped out of their seats to go around and flood around to see the the, the guy dressed up in a Cajun Chicken outfit from 30 years ago. But the kids loved it. They had fun. They wanted their autograph. They wanted their picture taken. Like, it's okay for us to have mascots and have a fun element at games. We've gotten so serious with it all, right? It's a game. It's supposed to be fun, right? You pay money to go watch a game. It should be a fun event. Like, it should be a good time. We've gotten into this weird space where we don't want, like, you know, mascots and, like, you know, the panda to bounce the bowls on her head. By the way, she's awesome. I love watching her do that. That's fun. It's okay to have fun, people. It's okay to have fun. As for Aaron Rodgers, yes, Aaron Rodgers loves the attention. He's passive-aggressive about the attention that he gets, Brent. But he loves it. Look, if you don't like the attention, you wouldn't date celebrities like, you know, Danica Patrick or Olivia Munn. You wouldn't have somewhat high-profile public spats with your in family. You wouldn't go host Celebrity Jeopardy or just Jeopardy if you didn't like being in the limelight, if you didn't like it to be about you. Yeah, Sorry. I don't know for sure. But it definitely feels like he's kind of the person that likes to get the attention and then say he doesn't like the attention to get more attention. Right. All the, to just complain about the attention. Yeah, and then to appear on and the Pat McAfee attention. show. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what it feels like, yeah. but he's also just like a different dude. And like he's a cow guy. I hate to say it a, that way, but he's, he's a Cal Berkeley guy. He's right? a different guy. He's a different cat, right? They're built different. He's a bit of a kind of a nomad hippie in him, right? A little bit. He's kind of that kind of dude. So I think part of it is genuinely interest for him. <clears throat> but I've always said this about Rodgers. You know, we talk about Brady and how he was built to drive, to drive himself 
Brady drove himself to the point where he sacrificed his marriage and his family to play for a team below 500 his final season in the NFL because that's how Tom is built. Rodgers ain't that guy. Like It's not to say that Rodgers doesn't put in the work. That's to say that Rodgers isn't great. But Rodgers is the type of guy that could be like, you know what? I feel like I want to give up football because... I want to be the front desk manager of a resort in Malaysia. <laughs> I'm going to go do that. And we'd be like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like, <laughs> like, he just seems like a guy that's just going to just walk off and just be like, eh, I'm good. I'm moving on. I'm going to go do this thing instead, you know, live in a hut. <laughs> you know. You know, grow avocados for a living. I just he would be doing something along those lines. He's kind of a weird cat, but you know, look, it works for him. God bless him. We gotta take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk about the NFL. We'll talk about Aaron Rodgers. Where's he gonna go? What about Lamar Jackson? What about Derek Carr? Vinny Iyer will help give us insight. Our buddy from the Sporting News, NFL reporter, columnist. That's coming up next, right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. King cake season is here, and break rooms are being filled with those delicious sugar coated pastries. That is so sweet. Just don't be the guy or gal who gets the plastic baby and lies about it. Come on. Come on, really. Step up and do the right thing, cheapskate, and buy the next cake. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Super Bowl 57 in the books. Chiefs win their second title in four years. And they did so with a lot of young players after having letting some people go, including Tyreek Hill. Are they on the verge of a dynasty? Do we expect Kansas City to be able to try to run it back in the next few years and try to win another title? Who presents the biggest threats? And what about this offseason? What is Aaron Rodgers going to do? What is Lamar Jackson and the Ravens going to do? And what about Derek Carr to help give us insight on all of those burning questions involving the National Football League is our friend from the Sporting News who covers the league, Vinny Iyer, joins us now on RP3 and Company. Vinny, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Uh, doing well. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I appreciate you making the time, bud. All right, now that some time has settled and you've had a couple of days to process everything that you got to see there at State Farm Stadium. Um, just give me your biggest takeaways from the third most watched Super Bowl all time. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs team, it wasn't just him. It was just the way that Chiefs uh, operate with their offensive coaching staff with Travis Kelsey, just putting their position or putting their guys in position to win games and adjust and uh, that's what we really saw from them in that game is that they were fantastic adjusting in the second half and the eagles were not and partly was just scheming guys open we saw the two easy touchdowns you had 
getting more guys involved. They decided to run the ball in key spots, and they also had a big special teams play on both sides. They were the better special teams team in the Super Bowl. So I I think as much as we love Patrick Mahomes, I mean, it was a duel, and we went back and forth. Jalen Hurts played just as well. I mean, the fluky thing with the fumble that happened that ended up making the difference, but really, I think I grew to appreciate the coaching staff more of the Chiefs where – Look, we, we, I think we always say, okay, Mahomes, the magic, and all that good stuff. But, like, when you examine what they do as a coaching staff, I think it's terrific, and that's what you're seeing. And they are the more veteran coaching staff, and they're the ones that made the adjustments at halftime that paid off big in the second half. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen a team play a nearly perfect half of football, Vinny, and that's exactly what the Chiefs did in the second half. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was um, just the way that they came out, and it, it was uh, fantastic to see that they just weren't in control of things. The Eagles seemed a little bit flustered, and they got out of the game plan that was working so well in the first half. I mean, to beat a team that went, I think, 11 of 17 on third down, that was very impressive to do that by the Chiefs because the Chiefs, again, didn't throw for the big numbers. They ran, they controlled it. We got the big defensive score, and they kind of built on that. So it's going to be left to the Eagles fans. So what could have been if instead of that fumble, if the Eagles had just kept moving and would have been 21-7, and then all of a sudden there's some momentum building for the Eagles where they have a two-touchdown lead instead of being tied up. That's how big that game, that play was. Is like it just changed everything early because I thought the Eagles were just going to keep pounding, and there was no – real stopping of the Chiefs. So, I mean, the Chiefs' defense really didn't do too much in this game to slow the Eagles down at all. But the Eagles, in the end, I don't think they adjusted well defensively to some of the things that the Chiefs were doing to get guys open that they didn't expect. You know, Vinny, the thing that really stood out to me about the Super Bowl as well is, you know, if we went in talking about Philly's front seven, it was a dominant group, third most sacks all time, in a season, and they harass people and they terrorize people. Patrick Mahomes wasn't sacked once in this game, and the Chiefs have an okay offensive line. Uh, their interior of their offensive line is better. Their tackles are the kind of the weak points, yet their offensive line did a phenomenal job in this game against Philly's front seven. Yeah, I think part of it is I, I think now we're looking at we'd say, okay, great pass rush against the team, and it may have changed my mind because I've looked at in the past and we've had the MVP and I wrote about it, how a good defense always seems to stop the MVP, but maybe we can't look at that anymore because the pass rush is one thing, but teams can counteract the pass rush in many ways. They can get the ball out of their hands quickly with the quarterback, which Patrick Mahomes did. They can use the quarterback to scramble out of it as uh, many teams can do. There's just a lot of teams who can't do that. And these are the lesser teams that you kind of prey on. But the better teams in this league can adjust and uh, do that. And that's what the Chiefs said. Okay, we're going to get rid of the ball as quickly as possible. We're going to move it around. We're going to put some guys out there, two tight ends, spread the field a little bit, go up tempo, where they don't really have any way to answer um, in the game. Where uh, I think that's what's happening here. So I think we give credit to the offensive line a lot, and for sure I think their run blocking was excellent in this game, but 
you credit the Chiefs for always for realizing, okay, we're not going to hold the ball too long. Get it out of Mahomes' hands. If Mahomes gets in trouble, let him let, use his legs and get out of there right away. And that's what you saw in the game. Jalen Hurts, in many ways, was the better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes on Sunday. Over 300 yards passing, led his team in rushing. And I, with the exception of that fumble, he had a phenomenal game. You know, we felt the narrative on him was starting to change this year, finished as MVP runner-up. Did his Super Bowl performance, even in a loss, maybe change the perception of him with many people? Well, I think a lot of people have not seen him play all that much. and That's a weird thing. If you weren't an Eagles fan or didn't see them specifically play, that you may have been unfamiliar with Jalen Hurts, especially if you don't watch college football. So a lot of people, I think, were opening their eyes to how good this guy is. And look, a lot of it is design of the offense, but... I think when people say system quarterbacks, I think every quarterback is a system quarterback. You can't blame Patrick Mahomes for falling into Andy Reid and the schemes there and the talent around him. That's that's just great coaching, and it's a good situation. I mean, Joe Montana, Tom Brady, all these guys had that benefit uh, through the years. So same thing with Jalen Hurts, a great offensive line, great weapons, running game. Everything is there, but you can't take that away and say, okay, what if Jalen Hurts didn't have any of these things? Because no quarterback is all that successful with that. So get just look at what he did. I mean, he, I mean that way of erasing that 35-27 deficit, it was so seamless. It was just very quick, and you thought they were done. You thought they were going to be buried after that touchdown. But then Dale Hurst just gave him a chance to win that game late. Unfortunately, the defense couldn't get off the field in time to give the Eagles one more shot to answer. We're talking with Vinny Iyer, NFL reporter, columnist for the Sporting News. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. All right, bud, let's turn our attention to the offseason now. Combine's going to be in a couple weeks, and then there'll be pro days, and then the draft will be here in no time. Let's talk quarterbacks. Brady's retired. Rodgers is gearing up for a darkness retreat, whatever that means. Derek Carr's been cut by the Raiders. Lamar Jackson, maybe not on the same page with the Ravens as we know uh what are we looking for here early in this offseason when it comes to the quarterback carousel yeah i mean first of all if we got to see what happens to Derek carr i don't know if he's gonna get a lot of interest i thought the saints might be a good fit but obviously that didn't work out they don't want to trade for him maybe they'll think about picking him up this way or they just don't want to add to the cycle here so it's gonna be tough i mean the biggest thing you look at for is what the raiders do and i wrote about that at sporting news is like they have a lot of options here. I think they're going to put the carousel in motion now because we know they're not going to sit on Jared Stidham. So it's going to be, do they go after Aaron Rodgers aggressively? Do they go after Jimmy Garoppolo or Jacoby Brissett there to fit into Josh McDaniel's system, two guys that were former Brady backups as well in New England other than Stidham? And then see, so look at those guys, and you look at Mac Jones. Are the Patriots done with him? And, okay, here's an opportunity. Mac Jones did have a good rookie year with McDaniels. Do we want to just move him to McDaniels and find our right quarterback for Bill O'Brien going forward? So I wouldn't even rule that possibility out. So when you look at it, they are going to set everything into motion. If Rodgers ends there, we know that there's going to be no change in Green Bay. We know Jordan Love is just simply going to take over for Rodgers if that happens. So we just have to see where all these dots go and uh, connect them when they're done, the Buccaneers, the Panthers, the Colts, 
Texans. It goes on and on with these teams looking for quarterbacks. So it's going to be that carousel again. And right now I can't tell you how it's going to stop for all these teams. I mean, Rodgers, if he goes, he's obviously the the top guy. But then there's a drop-off. I mean, Derek Carr and Jimmy G, they're good quarterbacks, but they're not elite-level quarterbacks. They're not on that level. But the market's going to dictate. They're going to get overpaid. And then there's a huge drop-off to guys like Jacoby Brissett or Josh Johnson or whoever else is out there on the scrap heap. Uh, are, are teams going to, I don't know, drive up the price because everyone's panicking that they don't have a quarterback, Vinny? Well, I think at this point, it, it, this actually might go the other direction where I think everyone's realized this, that there's this middle tier of quarterbacks and they don't deserve to be paid in this 30 to $40 million range. And we saw Derek Carr. Maybe that will start changing things. That's why the Raiders, even though look by the numbers, he had a good year, but at the end they just decided, looked ahead to the future, said, do we want to invest another $32.4 million in this guy when – are we really getting that much uh, war, if you want to throw a baseball term, from what else is out there for that level? So that's the thing. These middle-tier quarterbacks, if you're paying them close to the elite quarterbacks, that's not a good thing for the market. So I think you'll see it adjust again this year. I, I think what helps is also you've had some mega contracts, such as Mahomes and Russell Wilson last year, and Rodgers getting re-upped. So that gap is widened a little bit, so teams are more comfortable to say, look, that gap is widened. We're going to just say that this middle-tier market is not catching up to it, and we're not going to pay at that premium just to get a quarterback that's pretty good, very good, not elite. And Because what it does is also handcuffs the rest of your team, right? You're paying a guy that is not going to transcend and carry your team in a Mahomes-like fashion, and then and you can't spend another position. So what teams are going to look at, look, can we win with a $16 million quarterback? Maybe. I mean, you look at the 49ers. I mean, that's the ideal model. You build a great system, plug in different quarterbacks, have a lot of success. So we'll see. And you can't always just count on that rookie contract thing to work out because you'll have that short window like we were seeing with the Eagles, with uh, Hertz, and uh, the Bengals with Burrow. So there's a lot of things to weigh there. But I think – when you look at it, your best bet is to keep trying for that rookie quarterback. Don't invest too much in your veteran quarterback, and that's how you play it. And then eventually you'll get a guy, potentially, if you're a good drafting team like Mahomes, that, okay, we can win with this guy and we're good, and we can just use our roster and be very cheap on the rest of it. We'll wrap it up with this, Vinny. What happens with Lamar Jackson's situation with the Baltimore Ravens? I mean, I think it's a good sign that they hired Todd Munkin away from uh, the national championship Georgia offense because they involve Lamar in the process. I don't know why you involve your quarterback in the process of picking a guy that might fit his style, especially a run-heavy type coach. They Remember, they had a lot of uh, mobility there with Stetson Bennett as well. So Lamar Jackson's running ability, that rushing attack, I would say now it probably secures the best uh, – place for Lamar is in Baltimore now the thing comes down to can they hammer out the right details for the contract and I think they'll get it done here eventually one more for you real quick bud the Jets feel like they've built a roster that's a quarterback away from making them a playoff team do they get their quarterback this offseason and if so who do you think it's going to be yeah I mean right now I don't know if they'll 
be interested at all in Carr, I think they, they're going to go for the big one in Aaron Rodgers because if they can get that quarterback situation settled, that high level, make a big 180 like that, I think, yeah, Jets are going to be right there as an AFC contender. And I don't think it's going to be like a Broncos-type situation where they fall apart because we know Robert Sala's team, what they can do. Now they have the help of Nathaniel Hackett that is going to help Rodgers. I mean, that's a Hackett-Rodgers combination. I think it's going to work a lot better than Hackett-Wilson. So some people are going to look at that. Are the Jets trying to be the Broncos? But I think there was a lot of things the Jets did better than the Broncos the last season. And got their offense talent, Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall. You got two veteran tight ends. You got, could potentially get more out of Elijah Moore. And the defense, a lot of the key pieces come together. So watch out for the Jets. I mean, they could be one of those teams that just explodes next year with Rodgers in the mix. Vinny, appreciate your time as always and your inside, brother. Keep up the tremendous work you're doing for this morning news and enjoy the rest of your week, my friend. All right, thanks. RP3. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Ron Higgins, the Mad Dog from Tiger Details, Vinny Iyer columnist reporter from the sporting news covering the national football league our poll question of the day is our foodie poll question of the week because it's wednesday what is your favorite king cake flavor winning the vote with 46 percent of the vote cream cheese 25 percent says traditional big push for the traditional you know no filling inside of it just the traditional king cake 19 percent of you say other only 10 percent for fruit flavors the people got it right today, which isn't something you can say every day, so we can appreciate when they get it right. <laughs> Robert says Bavarian cream, cinnamon, or strawberry. Hard to choose between the three. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day, and thanks to all of you who left your comments. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of RP3 and Company. Reminder, NASCAR kicks off its season this Sunday with the Daytona 500. You can listen to it live right here on the game. Pre-race coverage begins at 1230. So make sure to put that on the old calendar. We'll try to do better tomorrow from 6 to 9. Got Jay Walker scheduled, Les East, and LSU baseball legend, maybe the best player in program history, Todd Walker, going to be joining us. For the producer, Dawson Iserlo. I'm Raymond Parsa III, better known as RP3. Until then, be safe out there, be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next.